Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast. Today, we're joined by Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Nicole Malakowski, a 21-year Air Force veteran who flew missions in combat and was the first female Thunderbird pilot. Nicole, welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, Let's just dive right into it. You talked about making mistakes today, and engineers certainly aren't afraid to try new things and fail until they get it right. How can we encourage that culture at engineering firms? I think it's important, right, that we have a culture where people can make mistakes, right? Because a lot of growth, personal and individual growth and team growth comes through failure. And I also think that um, when mistakes happen, that's where a lot of innovation and creativity right, can come from as well. And I think what we need to do to your point is create an environment where people feel safe to not be perfect, because let's be honest, nobody, you know, is perfect, but how do you feel safe uh, to go out there and make those mistakes? And I think one of the most important things um, goes back to the concept that I talk about of a wingman contract, this idea that there is a set of standards um, that we have communicated And that a set of standards where there is buy-in and a set of standards that is equitable across the board to everyone that we can hold each other right accountable to. So it's been communicated. There's buy-in so that when mistakes happen, we have a standard that we're comparing it to. A lot of times I think people are afraid to make mistakes or kind of go outside their comfort zone because they don't know what the expectations are. And so there's kind of a fear, right? A fear of being different or a fear that this failure is going to make things worse. When we know that we're on the same team, we have the same values, we have prioritized things a certain way, I think people are a lot more comfortable because they know they're going to be measured against a known and communicated set of standards. Does that make sense? And, And I tell people a lot, you know, failure is the price of entry for achieving something great. And I think leadership needs to be open in talking about that, right? Failures, I think, make you more committed to achieving your goal eventually. I think they make you a lot more determined And I think um, failure also makes us as teams a lot more humble. And I think you'd agree, of course, that those are all some pretty good leadership traits to have. Yes. And I certainly agree with the idea that trying something new and being willing to fail is where that innovation comes from. Because when we're doing it the same way that it's been done, we know what that outcome is going to be. But if there's the expectation that we get a certain outcome, we know what to measure against, but we can find new ways to get there and things that will even go further beyond what we think is possible now. And leadership can take those failures and turn that person right into the hero as opposed to the pariah, right? That we acknowledge these failures in a way that are done with courage and compassion and never done from a place of judgment or shame. And when people see failures happening and they see leadership respond in a way that is positive, right? And forward-looking and makes it a learning lesson for the collective good then people are going to be more willing, right, to kind of stretch their comfort zones and maybe get into these areas for failure, which, of course, usually is a a stepping stone to something greater, I think. I think it's the idea that while there was a failure, we are also rewarding taking that chance. Absolutely. It's two sides of the same, the same coin, and it needs to be presented in that way. I agree. Breaking barriers is also something that you're familiar with, and that is a hot topic right now. What advice would you give to people who are trying to forge a new path Mm -hmm. that hasn't been done before? Right. When you maybe are different or your idea is uh, going opposite, I guess, if you will, of the status quo, it can obviously be a very uncomfortable feeling, especially when peers and colleagues or the environment around you is telling you, you know, don't be different. Um, Don't rock the boat. 
don't make the rest of us uncomfortable, right? With your, you know, your wild idea. Um, I like to remind people, at least when I was kind of in my breaking barriers time of my career, you know, what I would remind myself, I guess, is, you know, only you get to define success for yourself and don't ever let anybody else, any team, any company, any organization ever define success for you. So for example, I became a fighter pilot because that's what I wanted to do. I didn't do it to be one of the first women fighter pilots. I applied to be a Thunderbird pilot because that's what I wanted to do. Not because I was trying to be the first woman Thunderbird pilot or make a point to anybody else other than myself. So I think it's really important to go back internally and ask yourself, what does success look like for me? And that definition of success, I think, can and should change across your career and across different you know, chapters of your personal and your professional life. And just focusing on why is it that I chose to do this? What is it that I value and why? And if you can maintain integrity to yourself, you know, and what it is that you value, I think you're always going to find yourself on the path to success. So that's interesting about different roles at different times and what your experience is going to look like throughout your career. I think um, we've got this idea that it's going to be a straight line trajectory mm-hmm. upward. And we're finding that careers are much more a windy road mm-hmm. than point A to point B. There are a lot of points in between. And on that point, you know, over the last three few years with the pandemic, there are some people who are looking back at those years and wondering if they've had a setback, Mm -hmm. if their career isn't where they thought it was going to be, as they're taking on more responsibilities at home during this time, things um, have gotten in the way of where they thought they would be, whether it's Mm career-wise or family-wise relationships. What would you say to people who are experiencing setbacks now or throughout their career? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think setbacks are part of the human condition. I don't care <laughs> where you are in your career, your experience level, you know, the path to success is always going to be nonlinear. That's something I always remind people. And if you, if you go into life and you go into your career journey with, with that mindset, I think it makes it a lot easier um, to handle the twists and turns and the bumps that come along the way. And to your point, certainly these last two years of the pandemic have been extraordinarily um, disruptive to our personal lives and to our professional lives. And it's very easy as human beings for us to go, man, you know, this has been hard. Am I doing the right thing? How do I get out of, you know, this rut? Um, I prefer, I think, the mindset shift that says, hey, you know what? There are opportunities in chaos and crisis to seize the advantage. This is where innovation and creativity comes from. This is Times like this is when you actually realize your own strength, I think. So why not take this time to do that kind of assessment? It goes back to what I just said. What is it that I value and why? Now's a great time in this pandemic to look around and see, are my priorities straight? Personal life, professional life. Have I done the things necessary to garner the skills or the resources or whatever it is to reach that next goal? Have my priorities shifted? Should my priorities shift? Do I need to add some? Do I need to delete some? I mean, there is beauty in the chaos. And I think times like this give us clarity of purpose. So instead of fearing that or kind of resisting that turbulence and change, I say, of course, right, get on in there and seize the advantage found in it. We're feeling that, I think, both from the employee level and from the corporate firm level, reevaluating priorities, how often people need to be in the office, what the work-life balance looks like. And that may be one of those silver linings that we're finding in the ability to, to reevaluate. 
You talked a lot about the the different steps in your career and the trainings that were required to get you where you ended up. And we find today, I think there is this impatience with a lot of folks to make a sweeping impact on day one when they come in. Can you talk a little bit about embracing incremental progress and appreciating those learning experiences in the engineering world? It doesn't, um, it doesn't always start on day one. It takes a few years to get into the consulting engineering world and, and get experience on those projects. Can you talk a little bit about embracing that? Absolutely. I, you know, when you're going after big goals, right, these kind of gnarly or complex goals. So in my case, you know, becoming a, a fighter pilot. I mean, obviously that can't happen overnight. You know, you're not going to build, you know, your first engineering feat is not going to be a skyscraper in New York City. That may be your long-term goal, and it's certainly an achievable um, goal. And I appreciate, I guess, if you will, kind of the moxie that says, I want to get there and, you know, I want to do it right now. That's a, that's a hunger and a thirst that I think young people coming into any career field should have. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Um, but it's about, if you will, focusing on that long-term goal and that target and assessing what are the interim steps that need to happen. Um, when we would fly combat missions, the very first thing we would do is to define the actual target itself. We wouldn't think about how we would get there. We wouldn't think about anything else. We say, this is the target. What kind of weapons or fusing or whatever do we need to carry that day? What does the weather look like that day? So we always work from the target backwards. That is a phrase we always use when we're teaching young fighter pilots. Work from the target backwards. Don't try to just go towards the target and put all of your vector and energy there. Look at the target, assess the target, and then work from the target backwards to where you're at. And so when you do that, you start to see all of the interim steps that are required, you know, that need to happen, whether that's building a new skill set, gaining experience, the repetition, the confidence that comes from all of that that you need you know, to go to that next level of excellence. So breaking steps down into smaller, kind of more, more digestible chunks um, is absolutely important. And, and this plays into as well, when you have that excitement, right? Like I want to build my skyscraper in New York City, but you've never built a house. Like is looking around for mentors and looking around for role models and seeing how they got there, right? It doesn't mean that you have to follow their path, but if you look at several different people and you assess how they did it, and then kind of apply your own little personalized twist on it, you're going to come up with a great path. And, and as we talked about earlier, I think it's important. Your target may shift. And when your target shifts, that's okay. Work from the target backwards and start that process all over again. And when you have that, that you know, initial roadmap that we know is going to change, but you're able to notice those milestones and build that momentum, which can carry you into the future. And, and you know, one of the things I used to always tell people, and I still do, I never, I started flying when I was 12 years old, right? I became a fighter pilot. I flew for 21 years in the Air Force. I never, ever not once flew a sortie that went the way I planned it. Never. Because there were always variables. Maybe the jet had issues that day, right? It had mechanical issues or whatever that might be, or the radar wasn't working. You know, maybe the weather impacted how we planned on flying that combat, you know, mission. Maybe the enemy had a vote right? In combat and, and through some kind of fog and friction of war in there. I never flew a sortie that went the way I planned it. And we have a phrase in the Air Force that everybody knows, and it's this, flexibility is the key to air power. Every airman knows that. Officer enlisted, every career field. Flexibility is the number one thing you have to have, I think, in order to reach you know, individual and long-term goals. 
because there's always going to be twists and turns and turbulence and headwinds and things you could not have ever predicted. And you just need to use those as opportunities, right? To grow your skill set, you know, to find your strengths and maybe to identify gaps where you need to improve. And those are all good things. Those are very good things. One of your many roles, this is my last question. One of your many roles is that you are advising the White House on issues related to military families. I am in a military family as well. What do you think civilians may not understand about their military neighbors? Oh, what a wonderful question. So um, I served as the executive director of the White House Joining Forces Initiative under then First Lady Michelle Obama and now First Lady um, Dr. Jill Biden. And we dealt with everything related to military families, which meant things like um, employment. It meant things like veterans issues. Uh, it meant things like mental health, it, things like education. Um, and there's so much to know about military families. And I, I want to give a plug right now to an organization called Blue Star Families, who actually um, do just extraordinary work highlighting the issues. But as far as like military families, um, they take on a lot of extra challenges. Uh, they do it voluntarily. They love their service, whether they're the service member, the spouse or the child, it doesn't matter. Um, they're extraordinarily, you know, patriotic type folks. They're extremely um, flexible. Think about moving every one, two, three years. You're a military spouse who has a degree as a lawyer, right? And you're trying to move between states with all the state licensure issues. How do you maintain a career, not a job, a career as a military spouse moving? Those are one of the, you know, one of those big challenges. Um, and instead of looking at it as an employer and going, well, you're going to move in two years, so we're not going to hire you. You go, hmm, how can I create an environment where I can utilize this asset, right? Someone who's totally resilient. I mean, military families, spouses and kids, especially extraordinary resilient. Imagine a military kid. I just had a friend whose daughter graduated from high school this week. She's been in 10 different schools, 10, and still graduated as the valedictorian. Right. So what you don't see is what's underneath the resilience, the grit, the determination, um, the willingness to be selfless on behalf of their country. It's not just the service member. It's the spouse and the kids that in so many ways, I honestly believe, are serving, too. Um, and in the hardship of military service, those families forge characteristic skills and traits that just make teams and organizations and communities better. So I hope that you see them as the asset that they are. Well, thank you for that, Nicole. We appreciate you being here with us. I think you've given us a lot to think about. Um, and with that, we will see you on the next Engineering Influence podcast. Mm -hmm.